Um, and it tends to be it tends to be in the mechanics that they sort of show on the pitch that whether they're able to accelerate maybe as fast or maybe a little bit faster than um, other players, but then they're able to carry that speed for a lot longer over the field. Um, and obviously you have to have a level of technical tactical awareness to be able to know when and how to use that because um, it's not often you get 30 yards of open space in front of you. But um, if they're able to, and if, if they get the opportunity, obviously they both play for very good teams, That then there's examples of both of them being able to run with the ball or without the ball over, over that sort of distance and they just leave people. So I guess like first question would be, I mean, a bit of an elevator pitch really, just kind of rather than going too much into it, but who you are and what you do, and then we can go from there. Yeah, so um, I came to Leeds for uni in 2018 and met quite a few pretty knowledgeable coaches. And I was I was into my athletics before, uh, before uni, but I got into it from, say, a more nerdy perspective uh, once I got here. And, you know, you're obviously exposed to so much knowledge, so much new stuff that you can... Um, you can try out in your own training or you can, you know, find out from a coaching perspective. Um, got my coaching badges while I was in, in uni doing undergrad and I was studying physical education. Uh, become a PE teacher since then. So I'm a PE and math teacher. I uh, did my PGC at Beckett as well uh, in Leeds. And yeah, I'm, I'm now doing coaching and teaching part-time each. Nice, mate. So, are you, so you're currently teaching at the moment yeah. And do oh right okay so pretty busy, um, so again keep it a quick fire then. So I mean obviously you work with predominantly like obviously track and field athletes, don't you? Um, mm. we were just talking about that a bit before, but um, do you do you follow any team sports or anything like that? Let's just have interest before I ask the next question. Like are you into yeah, any well, or... lifelong Leicester City fan? Um, nice. So that's a, that's a nice little claim that I'm actually yeah. a lifelong one, not since 2016. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. In terms of in terms of rugby, not really um, not really followed it very closely. I've got a few yeah. mates. I, I live with a I live with a rugby player um, that played first and seconds for for Beckett um, for like three years in my uni degree. So you yeah. know, in terms of the training, I, I know a bit about it. Just a little, yeah, little cool. bit going there, but yeah. Just on that then, so let's say from a, a football perspective, um, with your sprinting head on, do you ever watch and then say, right, he's a good sprinter or she's a good sprinter? And if you do. What is it that you see that says he they're able to do that on the pitch? What is it? Yeah, I, I mean, you don't see an awful lot of them. For no. <laughs> in terms of technically good. Uh, yeah. Naturally, as in potential-wise, could be very good. You've got a few different examples like Theo Walcott, Gareth Bale, that have both run um, very good times, I think, at an English schools level, both of them, or at least legitimate times. Um and it tends to be it tends to be in the mechanics that they sort of show on the pitch that whether they're able to accelerate maybe as fast or maybe a little bit faster than um, other players, but then they're able to carry that speed for a lot longer over the field. Um, and obviously, you have to have a level of technical tactical awareness to be able to know when and how to use that because um, it's not often you get thirty yards of open space in front of you. But um, if they're able to, and if, if they get the opportunity, obviously they both play for very good teams, that, then there's examples of both of them being able to run with the ball or without the ball over, over that sort of distance, and they just leave people. Yeah, yeah. So you the, you picked out there. So technically, you see sometimes that, for example, we'll use Gareth Bale as an example, because I think over the last kind of like 
10 years, he probably has been, you know, he's produced those moments more than most people. Like, I think, like, the Inter Milan game um, yeah. when he left Few for Dead and stuff like that. So you're saying there that mechanically you see him kind of being a little bit advanced than, than others. Is that where you kind of see maybe one of the differences? Or Yeah, I think whether that's a whether that's an outright amazing example or not, I think in terms of team sport players, um, because of the the low intensity that you can train um, mechanics with, you, know, you can drill it, you can you can even psychologically just rehearse it. That's that's a point where you can actually make so much progress in terms of uh, being quick because it doesn't take away from the rest of your training. You don't have to set aside an awful lot of time for it. You can do it sort of before or after certain yeah. uh, certain training units. And um, you can actually get better without getting physically better. You can get faster yeah. without getting physically better just by expressing the force production you have or, um, or becoming becoming better at understanding certain points that you can use your pace within the game. Yeah, yeah. so potentially for team sport athletes, the takeaway from that is that, you know, the technique bucket needs to probably be filled a little bit more. Mm. Um, and because it's so low taxing, there's opportunities in the week that you can find there. So, for example, warm-ups um, and, and things like that. Yeah, no, that's great. So I guess that kind of leads me on nicely to the next question then because... Um, I was hoping you was probably going to say that, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. We do a lot of like technical work. And I think at times, is for athletes that haven't got a track and field background and then they start doing the drills, they, they feel a little bit silly. Um, yeah. But I guess the, the question I would ask you then is from, and this can be from a track and field perspective as well, but from working with amateur athletes, so people that probably haven't had that exposure to um, sprint training, specific speed stuff, where do you see people go wrong early doors when they first start trying to improve the speed? Um, I think actually um, coaches sometimes shoot themselves in the foot or shoot the sport in the foot a little bit because there's a lot of cues that are still hanging around in coaching culture that aren't that are quite damaging really towards um, towards some aspects of sprinting. So you know you hear run on your toes or pick your knees yeah. up all the time, and it's and they're sort of I mean run, running all. On your toes or running all on the forefoot is is not a good idea anyway but so, but something like high knees it's a byproduct of good mechanics holistically uh in terms of a full picture it's it's not necessarily the um the aim it's sort of a product of of what you might do uh within a drill so if you're putting force down then in opposition you're you're going to put force up as well and and something as simple as that uh can leave someone th focusing or thinking about the wrong thing a lot of the time um just just one one little example but i think in terms of um in terms of where people get the most out of it, it it's those like silly silly drills but if you do them consistently in, in small doses over time you see a, see a significant improvement in them they will just drip feed into um into your all-out performance it's hard to make that link when you first begin so it's hard to um get a buy-in sometimes with people uh, with those little small boring bits that make a big difference but you sort of have to uh, structure it cleverly and more maybe a more engaging way um, to be able to reflect that through training don't you yeah no that's that's a good insight so on that then just um with again with obviously your sprint head on a big good insight to obviously with team sports where potentially the time is limited to get this kind of work in um let's say you've got an individual who, you know, they're going through an acceleration block and you're limited for time, what would be, you know, the big rocks for you from maybe a technical and stimulus perspective on the field that 
is just right, non-negotiable. That's what we need to do in this session. So how long are you giving me for the session? For a, for a session, let's say, you know, an hour session, um, you know, what are the non-negotiables for that? Um, so start off obviously with a normal, normal warm-up, but incorporate definitely throughout um, progressively more intense sort of technical drills. So you'd start off literally from a, from a walking pace. You'd, um, you'd get warm, um, mobilize whatever you need to do. And then you start off from a walking pace and you just build up uh, the intensity from there. And I find that making drills either um, building from the ground up in a, an intensity perspective gives you less and less time to think as you go throughout the warm up. It gives you more time at the beginning to maybe set your, set your rhythm. And then, and then you sort of making those movements slightly, slightly, slightly faster in it and building up in terms of a bigger picture sense um, in terms of overall technique is quite helpful, I think, for a team sport athlete because you're, you're never going to get the time to fully break down some of the movements that you need um, to sprint at like an elite level. Um, yeah. You think some of the elite skills that you need to, might need to master like block starts or three-point starts and things like that. There's no, there's no real use for those types of things for a team sport athlete. So you would just build it up from a maybe ankle dribbles and skipping variations and, and things like that and, and give them time to think before, they, before you then take away that time and you and you really focus on the pure right we're going to do some 30 meter flies or we're going to do some 10 meter accelerations we're going to do some you know 60 meter reps if you if you're looking lengthy for a for a team sport athlete just on like the the, the short acceleration stuff um I'm quite interested here. so um i always talk about in team sport those kind of like first three steps and we were talking we mentioned it probably earlier is that as soon as you're able to build that gap in team sport because it's over a short amount of time, you're then very hard to catch. Yeah. So I put a lot of kind of focus on that. What would kind of be your go-to maybe drills from a projection standpoint with someone who's literally first exposure to acceleration to maybe someone who's a little bit more advanced and that what's that journey like? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually build it from a acceleration standpoint all the time. Um, yeah. I like to incorporate throws and jumps in, in that uh, type of context as well. So, so maybe um, there's a, there's a specific hill I'm thinking of, but if you've got a hill, um, and you, medicine ball and well, yeah, um, <laughs> you got a hill and a medicine ball. You can actually, you can actually do some sort of broad jump variation, but you try and throw the ball up the hill and that projection, that um, sort of first step per se, you can do that from various different stances. You can vary it like that, or you can do um, sort of multi jumps so bounds and hops. Um, there's all sorts of stuff you can do to, to build that sort of neural wiring to be able to um, project horizontally in, in the acceleration phase. And I think a lot of what, um, a lot of what athletes do actually crushes that in, in the gym. So you can wire yourself to be a very good squatter, a very good lifter, um, but you can actually take away from that negative transfer can, can happen towards your acceleration or max velocity capabilities quite easily. And I think that's what people need to be careful of is yes, the acceleration stuff is, quite low dose but it's not low importance yeah no that leads us on nicely to it was gonna be my last question but i think i'm just gonna bring it up now it's kind of you know those gym focuses so um again i, I want to keep you know kind of focused towards the amateur athlete um and i think i know what you're probably going to say but you know let's say someone who's wanting to improve speed you've mentioned a few of the kind of the jump variations the plyometric stuff they can do um Again, what, what's the focus in a gym perspective for someone who wants to get faster for team sport? Um, I, I honestly couldn't recommend variety enough. Um, it just in terms of being explosive and being um, 
being quick in various different contexts, you're, you're not going to be able to um, have it how you like it in a, in a game situation at any point. You're not going to have that ideal scenario of, right, I've got a three-point start, I've got 60 metres of space in front of me, I'm gone. Uh, you're always going to be either carrying a ball, handing off defenders, whatever, you're trying to dodge people. It's, it's not going to be an ideal, ideal scenario. To be able to do um, jumps through different planes, um, throw with different different sort of methods, different setups, different kinetic chains, um, lift quick, lift slow, um, and jump high or jump far is just getting better at anything and everything in low doses is, um, is honestly the, well, something I found to be um, best way forward. From a variety perspective then, kind of like how often do you switch things up? Is it, you know, how, how do your kind of blocks work? Is it, do you kind of look at it from a week, week by week basis, that kind of variety, or is it more, you know, a bigger block type thing? Yeah. So I, I rarely do, I rarely do the same lift week to week, actually. Um, nice, okay. One week I might walk in and do trap bar. One week I might do um, some sort of, some sort of squat variation, like a box squat or a banded squat, something like that. Um, and what I'd look to do is um, if I say, say I was doing like a, I don't know, Say I was doing a trap bar, right? I might pair that with something very vertically focused because it is, you know, it's sort of a quite evenly distributed between posterior and anterior, and you're you're trying to produce force upwards. So I might do might pair a box squat, uh, sorry, a box jump with that. Um, that would be a good opportunity to get similar movements, different velocities. Um, and then if I was doing um, sort of a a low box squat or something like that, maybe more hip dominant, um, I might do a jump for distance, so a broad jump or um sort of jump a jump from knees or something like that so yeah. that, that would be my variety perspective on plyometrics versus lifts and things like that um where i'm sort of varying what i'm doing but i'm also doing quite similar focus um across the spectrum within the sessions yeah so is there anything in particular that informs that variety by week by week so is it a case of maybe if you see something with your own eye and then that informs what you do the next week is that kind of how it works and if so can you give us a couple of examples of maybe what informs what? So, yeah, um, I, I think in, in athletics, certainly you see quite a lot of either posterior dominant or maybe like quad dominant athletes. That there's quite a, a marked difference in the way they might interact with acceleration or maximal sprinting. Um, that, and it sort of flares up because if you put them through the ringer and they get, they get a big lactic buildup, you, you can sort of feel it either in either your quads or, or maybe you've got start to develop stronger hamstrings you sort of see that individual difference building and you got to be it's it's a difficult balance between playing to strengths and, and working on weaknesses because you can't have sort of a quad dominant athlete that's you know good in acceleration good with the knees over the toes uh sorts of positions then neglecting their posterior chain and maybe becoming quite vulnerable to um injuries or or maybe not even just maximizing the potential and from that standpoint it's not not ideal so I, I i like to um give athletes the opportunity to really play to their strength and show what they can do but then also that you, you really hammer those weaknesses in terms of right um i need to be showing progress in this thing week by week um it's yeah. not necessarily about hitting the same performance indicators as as what my strengths are but if i'm moving forward then that's that's great yeah no that's a good insight um just kind of like I guess it leads on nicely to the the week by week approach and what it might look like, you know, in an off season schedule versus in season. So, 
Um, and, and with this can be from a, a track and field perspective, actually, because I think it'd be good insight to kind of the work that you do off season versus in season, and then how that might then differ with with team sports. So, from a track and field perspective, what does off season look like compared to in season? Yeah, so it depends on the way you look at it. But our off season can either be you can either look at it as quite a short off season, as in like a two or three week um, off season, or you could look at it as like a six month one because it depends what you consider off season. Um, yeah. We prepare for our season uh, over the course of at least three or four months, um, indoors and outdoors. Um, so you might spend, you know, October to December preparing for an indoor season that's January to February. And then you might spend March to May focusing on, you know, your outdoor season that would run May to August or something like that. But um, often athletes throw in sort of a preparatory, preparatory phase uh before that where they're just building general characteristics to be able to handle their training load so um what a lot of people try and do is throw in a lot of volume um early doors and then build into sort of a sharper intensity period um but i sort of prefer quite a concurrent style throughout throughout that whole period so you might if you finish your season in august our september to mid to december sort of a my program would consist of constant low dose strip feeding sprint work um with varying sort of intensities of volume in in the endurance department okay um, and it i've already said in in a in a sort of sprint session you might cover 300 600 meters in a in a short sprint session but then the overall weekly volume might vary from something like 1500 meters all the way up to three three and a half k um across the course of the week on the track um that's that sort of fluctuation goes up and down throughout and it doesn't really, um, it sort of repeats over over five to six week period. On the, the load dosing, yeah, you start yeah. talking about kind of like volumes there. Um, what dictates for you when an athlete is ready to maybe be exposed to those more higher volumes? Uh, let's say if they've, again, we'll go from that kind of like amateur journey, maybe, I don't know, but um, when do you decide someone's ready to, you know be exposed to more volume is it just a, a week by week just keep dosing them a little bit more or is it something else it's about observing um sort of mechanical breakdown when when that happens or yeah. if it happens um so talking to the athlete and seeing how they're responding to it psychologically because i think a psychological attitude uh like towards training is quite a valuable um indicator of how things are going regardless of whether or not they're sort of improving week by week by massive amounts if they're if they're loving training and if they're wanting to show up and put put work in um each time then you can be banking a lot of training that might come to fruition weeks down the line it just depends um but it's it's about observing mechanical breakdown and how well they respond um from a feedback point of view so if they're executing the way the way you'd want them to um all the time that might indicate that they they require a bit more challenge um and the volume fluctuations they're not necessarily um the progressive indicator that i might have suggested they're sort of the i don't know they're they're, they're a fluctuation and the progression comes from um how well you can execute or how fast you can execute um those, those volume fluctuations they're the sort of times that you execute the reps in they're constrained by the rest intervals that i give so if you've got a high volume session, you might have much shorter or much longer recovery based on how you're meant to execute each rep. And that that's the sort of marked difference between um, 
team sport and maybe track and field training is that it's track and field is much more focused on how you can execute a certain distance as well as um as well as your actual training content because you're trying to optimize how well you can run say 200 meters and tactically there is an element to that where you might not do anything towards that in a in a 30 meter sprint for for a rugby player yeah that's a good insight just and this is from a coaching head on is how do you um maybe look for those breakdowns do you have any like do you, do you use video? Because do you work, you work with a lot of people online as well, don't you? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how do you best you know monitor them? For example, if they're able to expose that, and this is maybe be, me being a little bit selfish from my own online coaching um, perspective. Well, you know, it'd be a good insight to see how you do it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it really is dictated by how much athletes send me. So the more they send me, the more insight I can give, and the more informed I am. But um, it's it's from a video perspective or or from from a sort of time perspective because if I know the athlete well enough then you can sort of pick up on right this is what they can potentially do maximally for that distance and if they're able to hit sort of this time across this number of reps consistently within a few tenths of each other then you can sort of understand what what they're experiencing within training it because it, it's quite a um, it requires a lot of experience like running sessions yourselves uh, yourself and and actually. Um, witnessing the athlete do it and, and what their capabilities are across different distances um so i'm a bit of a stat nerd and i can yeah. sort of estimate how how much someone will drop off between maybe 200 or 400 meters based on their 60 and 200 time or something like that it's it's a it's a bit of a it's an experience game and it's a it's a video analysis and it's a talking to the athlete kind of game as well yeah that's good insight um mate that was brilliant i've just got probably one last question. Um, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but um, yeah. a team sport athlete comes into um, into your program, and they've they've had zero exposure to any speed work. Could you maybe just give us like I don't know, like two or three quick fire insights to what would be the first priority, big tick, big rock that you you get done? Um, mechanically, what are they like? So, what's their neural wiring like? Are they wired to squat or are they wired to run? Um, that's what I'd look for first. And I would probably come at it from a mechanics perspective first, just to build up the intensity very carefully, because once you find out you've done too much sprint work, it's been too late for about three weeks um, because nervous system breakdown and um, or sort of fatigue and then um, mechanical breakdown can cause a lot of damage over, over that sort of time without really realizing it. So it's important to be able to give build their tolerance um, and their familiarity with it quite quickly. Yeah or you throw them into something that intense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd come at it from a mechanical perspective and, and sort of build from the ground up that way, rather than build from the ground up sort of volume-wise or intensity-wise or things like that. Yeah. No, I'm glad you said that. And for obviously the people that are listening, um, I always talk about my three buckets. And I, I start from Les Spellman. I'm not claiming it. But my physical, technical, stimulus bucket. And I always say that when amateur athletes come to me and they want to improve speed the physical book is taken care of i.e. they're in the gym they might not be doing the right things but they're in the gym and the mm. technical and stimulus book is just left alone so i'm you know it's refreshing to you hearing an extra voice that i can then tell my clients as well is that you've got this mechanical bucket and this stimulus bucket they need to be topped up as well um so yeah no, that's, that's great just finish off and then you know where can people find you because you put out some really good content when it comes to speed stuff thank you um so um I'm on Instagram at Sprint Science, uh, all one word. And then I've, my website, obviously, uh, 
www.sprintscience.co.uk. That's where you can find um, event program memberships and, and my blog and things like that. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I recommend it because the content you part is great. And I've had a look at your website as well. And it looks um, very easy to navigate. So appreciate check it out. Thanks for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thank you.